Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Tuesday, the 27th of June, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. That means it's 10 a.m. on the West Coast. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, just the two of us today for Market Call. Dan, this Market Call brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider continues to be FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Uh, last night, the Brewers of Milwaukee came into Shea for a four-game set, down one nothing, uh, tacked on two, and then held on for a 2-1 victory. Uh, at Shea. Um, so we'll see how the Mets respond tonight. Um, you know, Mets now, I think, eight games, seven or eight games under 500. That's no bueno. Yankees were off. They started set in Oakland. Obviously, we had some NHL awards. Uh, Adam Fox getting um, second runner up or the first runner up for the Norris Trophy. That was unexpected, but good for him. Yeah. Dan's like, please stop. I'm begging you. But we're here to talk about markets, not the NHL, not the Mets, not the Yankees. And not anything else that pops into my mind. How are you? Nah, I'm doing great, guy. Um, you know, on a night like like last night when the Yankees are not on, do you find yourself watching the hapless Mets? Or, or I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I was flipping around yeah. and I found myself <laughs> watching a little of the College World Series, LSU, yeah. just a juggernaut. And then yeah. I'd flip back to the Met game. And I will say um, the outcome made me happy. How's you that? know, it's funny. I, I watched my share of this college World Series, uh, and it was it was fun. I mean, the, these guys. It's you know what the the crazy thing about it is, it's like night and day between watching LSU, Florida, Virginia, Oral Roberts. You know, some of those other teams. The the makeup of the players, to, to be very honest with you, is very different than what you see by a lot of the the sort of rookies, right? It, 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 you know, in in the majors, it's just a very different game. And then when you hear that plunk uh, off the aluminum bat, mm -hmm. it feels like a different game, you know. Much different game, and it's funny you say that because a lot of these guys look a lot older than they are. I think it's yeah. the facial hair. Uh, but listen, I mean, I guess they're growing the beards for the playoffs, but it's amazing that a college sport ends effectively at the end of June. They just keep pushing the envelope. But here we are. Yeah. Good day for the market. Before we got on, we were talking about some of the dynamics at work. Obviously, the S&P is up, what, almost a percent last I looked. So it's an encouraging day for sure. 
Um, I don't know what necessarily to attribute it to. I think, again, month end, quarter end, today's Tuesday. With each yeah. passing day, it's going to get a little more funky. That might have something to do with it. The VIX fell off a cliff about an hour or so ago. We'll talk about that. But, you know, it's more of the same, although I will tell you, Dan, without getting too granular, the move in the home builders continues and the airlines seem to be breaking out. But that's not for this precise second. Well, I mean, listen, there's a couple things here, right? So, so you know, if, if you think about like crude oil, we can pull this chart up. We've been talking about this for a bit. I mean, there's two ways to think about this, right? So you just mentioned the airlines, you know, um, and so the guidance that, you know, we can throw up the chart. Delta just gave, um, you know, and, and crude going one way and, and the airlines going the other. I mean, mm -hmm. those are all good. You could look at the home builders. You could say the same thing. You pull up lumber and you could pull up a whole host of other input uh, costs that go into, you know, home building. You saw those new home sales up 20% year over year. I mean, that's bullish for those industries and crude going lower. Um, you could say is, is bullish for consumers. It's bullish for input costs for a lot of businesses. And, and maybe it isn't such a staunch reflection on the weakness of the economy because that is an interesting split screen guy. If you no think question. That, right. So, so again, I mean, it really depends, you know, what, 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 uh, lens you are looking through and, and i get it you know like I, I get it like so so now what the stock market is telling you what rates are telling you what um you know is that 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 maybe we are in in this soft landing sort of kind of shallow recession sort of thing and and you know i read i think it was the stalwart over there this is joe wiesenthal at bloomberg you know he has a five things to watch it's a newsletter that comes out each morning i think he is a really really um sharp guy and, you know, he was talking about something I think that came out of like a Dallas Fed survey where it was one, one company and it wasn't named um, by name talking about, hey, they're almost looking forward to a shallow recession. And again, I know what you're going to say. Careful what you wish mm -hmm. for. Right. Um, but they're they're basically saying that they're going to kind of rejigger some costs you know they've been working on their cost structure and they're looking to hold on to employees for the re-acceleration out of a shallow rally and if the the employment thing is the last piece of the puzzle if it's the stickiest part of inflation maybe we get out of this thing maybe it is a shallow recession where unemployment doesn't move up meaningfully because a lot of companies given what we've seen with supply chain dynamics and, and, and reshoring and all this stuff, maybe they're going to have to that can really hold on to employees. And our friends, Vinny and Porter of Seawolf, which a lot of our on the tape listeners know, they've been talking about this, that immigration is really one of the biggest differences of this cycle here. You know what I mean? If we don't fix that, maybe that really does keep unemployment at really historically low levels. All right. So I, okay, that all could happen. But then part of that equation, obviously, is I think embedded in that soft landing is inflation will continue this trajectory lower. I think in order to believe in a soft landing, you also have to believe that inflation is trending the right way. And maybe it is. I mean, there are a lot of people that say, obviously, inflation is a lot lower than it appears if you look forward. What I'll tell you, though, is if all those inputs that you just mentioned continue on their merry way. Inflation is going to remain here, if not start to tick higher, which again makes the Fed's job more difficult, which means more Fed. But, you know, that, listen, I know this soft landing is out there. The market certainly trades as if we're in this soft landing camp. I'm hard pressed to understand how it can happen, but I'm glad you mentioned oil. I don't know if Jacob can do this on the fly, so I apologize. And I know on the CME day, we're tasked to look at things through the lens of futures, but quickly I want to look at OIH because I do think this is interesting and it's sort of, juxtaposes some of the things you were talking about in terms of the commodity. If you go back over the last year and a half or so, Jacob, I don't know if you can make that. Oh, that's actually good enough. 
So if you look at where we traded down to um, this sort of 250 something level, prior resistance becomes support. And you can see it in the chart. You know, if you go back to 2021, uh, you could see where we sort of topped that around 250 or something. That's where we traded down to and seemingly bounced. Now, the moving average is clearly still in play. Moving average flattening out now, maybe turning up. So although the commodity is telling one story, the OIH might be on the verge of a move here to the upside. So I just want to keep that out there. And we got a question from Chris L. Chris, thank you. I think he has a cute picture to coincide with this question. Curious in your career. There it is. It looks like a hard for me to tell. That looks like a St. Louis blue shirt. Probably not. Hard for me. Um, curious in your careers. When was the last time you saw these mega caps moving anywhere from 2 to 5% consistently every day? I'll take a stab at this and say never. Um, stocks of these sizes, you know, you're talking about stocks anywhere from three quarters of a trillion to north of $2 trillion moving two, three, four percent in a day. I've never seen that before. Um, there's, so, there's some gamification of the market going on. But as much as people will say that's healthy because typically the moves have been to the upside, just remember, Chris, this can happen to the downside as well, Dan. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, if you want to just pull up a day chart of NVIDIA uh, one day, I mean, this stock was down in the day at 11 o'clock and here we are at one o'clock a couple hours later, it's up two and a quarter percent. Again, this is, you know, nearly a trillion dollar market cap company, if not um, right there. And when you just think of just how much market cap is moving around, um, you know, it went from a dip below a trillion in market cap mm -hmm. and now it's, you know, 20 billion um, above that. Uh, you know, this actually guy does a little bit, I think, to what you're talking about is kind of quarter end marking, um, if you will, because to see that sort of intraday move on no real news um, doesn't make a lot of sense. We're going we're gonna to look at some of those mega caps, but let, let's look at the S&P 500 mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, let's look at the futures. And, you know, again, you know, we were 44, 60 or so at those recent highs. You look at that August 2022 high. Um, that was a breakout level in late May. You know, we've almost checked back to that. I mean, listen, guys, if you're just trading the technicals, I mean, that's kind of how you do it, right? Like if we were to actually have kissed that level, you see that 200-day moving average all the way down there. Guy, it looks so lonely down there, just above um, 4,000. You see it's flattening out or whatever. Very constructive chart. I mean, again, if you want, it, don't want to get too bogged down in inflation and what the Fed is going to do, and you know, and all that sort of stuff. What's going on with interest rates or whatever? I mean, if if you weren't in the camp that there's a lot of headwinds to you know like growth, and and if you look at where valuations are, we quote John Butters over there at FactSet all the time each week in his earnings insight blog. You know, he puts out where the S and P 500 is currently trading relative to its five and ten year averages. We're above it. Does that make any sense to you? Like inflation's coming down hard and we know that Fed funds, you know, if you look at the CME Fed tracker, right? If we just want to do that right now, guy, you look where that thing is. I mean, there's like an 80% probability of a 25 basis point hike at the July meeting or so. Does that make a lot of sense? If the gap between where Fed funds is and where inflation is, where real rates are, that's going higher. There's there, there's so many cross currents here. I mean, again, we've talked about this ad nauseum, it seems. There's a lot to be um, bullish about. There's a lot to be negative about. In terms of the price action, the bulls seem to be winning, um, you know, the last week or so notwithstanding. I do think you probably get two more rate hikes this year. I'm believing what the Fed is saying. And I do believe that maybe, maybe you'll get some cuts in the back half of next year then you have to ask yourself under what set of circumstances is that happening? I don't think the market 
has nearly priced in interest rates this high for this extended period of time. But that's me. But go back to the prior chart, the E-mini uh, futures, because trading is about levels and it's about understanding risk reward. And you said it. Let me be clear. I've been bearish. I remain bearish. So just putting that out there. But if you're looking to trade this thing, to your point, Dan, you know, we did a back and fill right back down to that prior August high, effectively, and now we're bouncing. So if you want to play it from the long side, the trade is as follows, I think. You know, you buy E-minute futures here, and you stop out on a close or a break, depending on how you want to look at it, of the prior August high, which, as you said, I think was 43.35. Don't at me if I'm off by a point or so. But you get the gist of what I'm saying. So you have, a, you have an entry point. You have a very well-defined stop. And I think on the upside, you're looking for continued strength into month end, quarter end. And that's how you trade these markets, I think. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, rarely do you see a, a kind of a quarter end mark, the sort of window dressing as lots of pros like to call it, you know, close, you know, at the dead high of the, the month, the quarter, that sort of thing. So sometimes they, you know, they kind of run out of um, powder. I mean, I wonder if this kind of less of a, um, a circumstance guy these days, you know, especially after you have the sort of move that we have, we have an S&P that's up you know, nearly 14% on the year. And we have the NASDAQ 100 up 36%. I mean, I don't know what you really get by trying, you know, to use a bunch of powder to kind of mark yeah. as much as possible. Um, but let, let's look at the NASDAQ because I, I think you brought it up. I mean, like, that's the whole story, right? Like, I mean, when you think about it, yeah, you could say, well, we're seeing some stuff broaden out. We're going to hit some of those sectors. But really from a weighting standpoint, they don't really do the job. You put a bunch of things together. We've highlighted on Market Call again and again, you know, you just mentioned OIH, but energy stocks, which really have given a lot back of, of a lot of those gains that we saw, um, you know, much of last year that was basically really helping out S&P 500 earnings. And then you also have financials. They both act really Poorly, look at this NASDAQ E-mini, the 100, uh, NASDAQ 100 E-mini futures here. This is really interesting. We didn't even draw a line from those August highs of 2022. You see that uptrend. You see where the 200-day moving average is. You know, if you were to have a handful of those multi-trillion dollar names, just pull back 5%. You're going to have that NASDAQ E-mini 100 futures. You're going to have them back towards 14,000, right? And that would be that breakout level from August 2022. That would, that would be the third point in this uptrend line. Ideally, I think, under what we think is going to happen, you're going to trade down to the moving average. It's interesting. Doug Cass just texted me, hi, Doug, and he said he pulled some Shakespeare, and he said, a two brute buying futures, question mark. Um, I will not play the role of Caesar because the next line is then fall Caesar. But I will say this. In terms of that, I think what we're trying to illustrate here is you can – I'm not – I want to be – Crystal freaking clear. I am not bullish. But going back to that um, S&P chart, the E-mini futures chart, my point is you have a very well-defined risk reward here. If you think, again, if you're bullish, you know, you know where your entry point is, you know where your exit strategy is, and you know what you're looking for, I think, on the upside. That's how you trade, I think, these markets, because it did give you that pullback to effectively that prior high we saw last summer. I will say, again, for emphasis, I think the market's going to break down. So playing from the long side has a uh, degree of uncertainty and danger associated with it. But at least, you know, your parameters at these levels, Dan. Yeah. And again, you know, um, we love talking about futures. We've traded them, um, you know, for a long time. I like the ability to kind of make intraday bets. 
um, and define my risk using stops, raise those spots, uh, stop, stops, lower those stops, right? Like as, as the market kind of moves in your direction, but it also gives you the opportunity to kind of say, okay, well, I took a shot there. I look at a bunch of different, different inputs that help me kind of arrive at that decision, whether I want to be long or short the underlying and you see what changes and you look for another opportunity um, to sort of get back in again, using fairly tight stops. So I see what you laid out there guy, but I also get your wider um, sort of implication. And, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, as we get to quarter end, we get into July, we know that we have bank earnings that are going to happen on July 14th. A lot of the, the major U S money centers, investment banks here. Um, and they were really kind of set the course, if you will, for earnings season. But I, I'm concerned about some of these large cap it's interesting that the sell side, and again, a lot of people will come at us and say, why do you care what a bunch of sell side analysts are doing to their ratings? Well, it is kind of important from a sentiment standpoint sometimes, because let's just use Tesla as an example. In the last week, you know, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, okay, both massive, you know, investment banks on Wall Street who both bank Elon Musk, okay, one for Twitter and one for Tesla, and their analysts downgraded his stock. Now, Yes, there are Chinese walls between investment banking and equity research, but don't think for a second that folks like Elon Musk, who also lean on these sorts of banks for credit facilities and margin loans and you know the like, you know, don't think that they don't think about some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We know for a fact, okay, like you would be amazed in all the years that we've been doing fast money, we have heard through the grapevine of CEOs who've heard what we've said. They have you know, companies, PR companies that track, right? What's going on, what people are saying about their stocks, what analysts are doing to their stocks, that sort of thing. So, it, you know, it's not a small order when you do that, and especially in, in a trillion dollar market cap company or nearly um, that as far as Tesla is concerned. So I just want to, you know, kind of make that point. And then Google is another one today. Two downgrades in two days. Bernstein today, uh, yesterday, um, it was, uh, I don't even know who it was, UBS, okay? You know, like these are something, it's just interesting to track sentiment. And a lot of these firms have big institutions or big retail followings um, that track these sorts of things. And they change the way FAs at a place like UBS might talk about a company or a stock to their clients. I think that's a good point. So I'm going through the comments. So it's interesting. Guy has never, never has capitalized. Guy has never been bullish except on gold. Okay, maybe that said somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I'll address it because it's out there. So a couple things. Um, I'll give you an example. Pull up a, pull up a chart if you can, Jacob. Pull up Pulte Homes, PHM, for example. Um, look at what that stock has done. Look at what it's done today. I will tell you um, that we've been resoundingly bullish in the home builders for quite some time. I would say... Uh, for the better part of this year, probably going back to the fall. That's proven to be correct. Um, look at a name like Eli Lilly, LLY, for example, that we've been talking about seemingly since we started doing this show. That's been lower left, upper right. Uh, we've done a decent job, I think, with some of the energy names. Some of them have pulled back, but the energy hangs in there. And in terms of the broader market, absolutely. I mean, I've been negative um, since, I want to say, November 2021, when the Fed announced um, that they were going to start to raise rates twice last year. And we've talked about this, but I want to bring it up. If you could pull up an S&P chart, there were two times last year where we were resoundingly bullish. The first time happened in June uh, when the VIX traded about 34 or so. And we said it on this show that that single was a time to get into the market, probably rallies anywhere from 15 to 18 percent. That's exactly what happened. And then again in October, 
when the VIX traded to 34. And we said the same thing. By the way, that was the same time when people were talking about Chinese stocks being uninvestable. Go back and look the low of Alibaba and the market proceeded to rally 18%. What's caught me off guard is the subsequent move since the middle of December, late December into January. And I say it all the time. Yeah, I've been wrong with that without question. But we have been bullish in some, some excuse me, individual names in some sectors along the way. So if you're going to throw stuff out there just to throw stuff out, I got thick skin. I mean, you can say anything you want, but try to be somewhat accurate. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Back to me, Guy. Um, that was a nice little rundown here. I, listen, you know what? Again, I, I go back to this. Is like we're here. You know, we 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 uh, are very fortunate that we have um, you know an audience for this sort of stuff. You and I've been doing this for a long time. We traded very actively uh, for many 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 years. We're still very involved in markets. We have the ability to talk on CNBC on our podcast on Market Call here, and we're just trying to be very accessible. I mean, you can cherry pick. Uh, whatever you want. I think there's very few folks that talk as frequently as we do about markets who are, are as transparent about our views and, and about uh, when we're wrong. And so like to me, you know, like that's a really important uh, part of this whole process. Let's go over here. Um, the folks over at Bespoke, you know, mm, Bespoke I do. Investment, um, they are uh, they got a lot of great data uh, that they put out every day. There's obviously a subscription product, but they also put a lot of really good stuff out on social media. And I thought this was kind of interesting. You know, we, we've we been tracking a list of very, very overbought single names. Here's the NASDAQ composite over the last 12 months. You can see it's at its wides, uh, 34 days. They also make the point, I think, in this Twitter thread um, that there's been much longer periods, right, where um, the NASDAQ has traded um, this overbought, but let's just get into some of the individual names because I think it really is important, you know, back to that NASDAQ futures chart that we're looking at. It is really important. Those big components, we know that those top seven stocks, I don't have a name for them just yet, but I'm working on it, guy. Um, you know, the, the $7 trillion club or so, when you just look at the sort of parabolic moves and then you add back in what we've just talked about, some of the sentiment that we've seen, at least on the sell side, as far as analysts, you know, it will have the ability to work its way into once we really dig into the fundamentals, when we get their Q2 earnings, but more importantly, their Q3 or their back half um, earnings guidance, if we do get it for many of these, because we heard all year long when the sentiment was really poor guy, but the stocks were going higher, that it's going to be a back half loaded year, right? And if that is not confirmed after these stocks have had these huge moves, I think that's really dangerous. Let's just throw up a Google chart really quickly. That would be the alphabet, you know, mm -hmm. and we drew a couple lines here. You see that 110 level. That was the breakout level. That would be probably a pretty decent level, despite what these two downgrades have said. On a valuation basis, I think alphabet is really uh, above and beyond what, you know, like some of the A, you know, from a performance standpoint and from a valuation standpoint, um, they've really lagged some of its mega cap tech peers. I guess the worry is, is that a Microsoft takes share or the cost to compute or their move into just accelerating, let's say the performance of BARD is going to weigh on margins. The spending is going to go back up. Thoughts here on Alphabet, because this is one, if you were to break that 110 level guy and it was headed back towards that 200 day moving average, I think this is a stock that you want to dollar cost average, in my opinion. It's interesting. I don't know if we could do a longer term chart. And I'm sorry, sure. Jacob, to do this, but Google, we talked about it on Fast Money last night, and we'll break it down a little bit here. That's a stock actually on valuation. You can make a pretty compelling case. And, and I think you know, Karen's done a good job. You have as well. You actually were talking about getting long Google, I want to say, in the early spring. And the flip side of that was probably a Microsoft short. So they probably wound up being flat. 
But look at this move here uh, quickly. You know, you're talking about an all-time high in Google, the subsequent move lower. The move we just saw is basically a 50% retracement of that entire range, that high, that recent low, and here we are. On valuation, you can make a pretty compelling case. On technicals, you can understand, if you go to that prior chart that Dan just had up, how we can start to break down a little bit here. I don't know if the moving average is in play, but it certainly at these levels looks like it could potentially get down there. So this is a name where, you know, at probably a market multiple with mid-teens revenue gro earnings growth, you can make a pretty good case for. On technicals, though, maybe it exhausted itself a little bit. And since you brought it up, those big stocks, last night we led with Apple. Apple's making all-time highs. Apple is one of, listen, it's a great company. And this pull-up an Apple chart, maybe we could do a five-year chart or something just to have it up. It's not about that. What it is about, though, is Apple, I think I mentioned last night, is in 354 ETFs, of which Apple is one of the top 15 1.5 holdings. So whether you own it, whether you realize it or not, if you're in ETFs, you're probably in Apple. So Apple wins to this whole passive investing craze. But guess what, folks? If you look at this chart, Apple actually goes down too. And if you look over the last few years, you see, again, moves anywhere from 25 to 40% peak to trough. Now, at an all-time high, it never appears. It doesn't really matter, but it does go down as well. The question, of course, is what's going to be the catalyst? And I would submit the way that Apple trades recently, although it's great if you're long the stock, is actually sort of scary, Dan. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, gaining a trillion-plus market cap in, you know, from the January lows, it's also interesting that the first week of January, the stock was making – um, 52 week lows. I think it, you know, was down maybe 33 or so percent from those late 2021 um, all time highs. It, it seems a bit unnatural. And as to your point about passive investing, the other one is Microsoft too. So we have a chart here, and this one's kind of interesting, especially when you take it back to that August highs. You look at that breakout level on the big gap um, in and around earnings, and it's just been a runaway breakout. And that looks like a little bit guy of of a blow off top there over the last. A um, couple of weeks ago, you see that rising 50-day. Um, you see where that very lonely 200-day moving average is all the way down there, um, you know, below 270. And again, maybe just below 300. If it was to check back to that breakout level, right, and from late April, I mean, that would be a great level. I just think the froth in these things, the valuations, I think the pull forward and a lot of the excitement about what's going on in and around AI, I do think you're going to have an opportunity um, to buy some of these. And here's one that is just entirely unnatural guy. And this is the meta, you know, and you use this expression. You couldn't give this stock away down a hundred. Mm -hmm. Okay. When it was down there at a hundred and you look at this, look at the way in which this thing has basically gone from 90 um, to 290 without really much of a pullback here. So talk to me a little bit about this It's filled in that gap. And, and that was that kind of early 2022 gap that saw the stock, you know, just really barely see an uptick. It was a really straight, you know, I mean, it was, you know, well-defined downtrend until it crescendoed with that last gap of the lows. I mean, this is how you, you just use the expression before things overshoot to the downside, they overshoot to the upside. Where does this thing go from here? Because it's still trading at a reasonable valuation. Absolutely a reasonable valuation without question. I, I tell you what, five, six months ago, if you had said we're going to fill that gap from early 2022, people would say you're out of your frigging mind. I mean, that's going to be there for quite some time. Yet, I think today we've effectively filled that gap. So here we are. It stands to reason that the market or the stocks itself exhausts itself at these levels. Again, Valuation hasn't been a concern, but you know what? 
it wasn't concerned on the whole way down either. So you sort of throw the valuation uh, argument out the window. That comes down to the following, though. You know, the ad the ad supported model, and quite frankly, is there still growth? And what's going on with this whole metaverse? Have they completely bagged it? I think the stock went down precipitously because Facebook induced it was a self inflicted wounds on the way down. Uh, they're the benefit of money flows now, and the fact that they don't even bring up the metaverse. But at a certain point, to your point, it will exhaust itself. And this is as logical a place as any for it to do so, Dan. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Somebody in the chat brought up like Upstart and Carvana um, and the moves that they're having here. And I think it's interesting, you know, like this is also could be like sort of some of the, the quarter end um, goofiness, you know, in this sort of environment, you want to look towards things that you think are squeezy and, and you can get, you know, shorts to cover and, and that sort of thing. I mean, this is, you know, this was a game, you know, in the markets that I used to be um, very active in, um, just kind of looking for pressure points and, 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 and levels in which, you know, you could kind of get stocks moving at different periods in time. Um, and again, there's nothing fishy about that. I mean, people who look at the markets um, intraday are, you know, you're obviously looking to kind of, you know, take advantage of some of these sorts of moves. I'm looking at my main fax machine and it feels like, I mean, just rip roaring here, guy. And so all of the sorts of, of, of things that kind of worked earlier this year um, seem to be back um, in play or so, which brings me, let, let's talk about yields a, a little bit here because we, we just talked about it relative to inflation, that sort of thing. Let's pull up a 10-year yield. And, you know, David Rosenberg over at Rosenberg Research in his, in his morning note had a really interesting um, comment about how, you know, with where Fed funds is going and the move that we've seen in the 10-year, like something's kind of got to give. And, you, you know, we talked yesterday a bit about um, on, on our market call-in show in Sirius, which we do on Mondays at noon. Um, check that out, people. But just the, the, the length in which the, the – uh, or the duration in which the 10 and the 2s have been inverted. Mm -hmm. and, you know, here we are at 100 basis points. I mean, it's just hard to fathom in our careers that we've seen this sort of inversion and then the price action subsequently in st the stock market and the valuations in which um, investors seem very comfortable with how that is going to resolve itself in a way that is kind of palatable, especially after we had a pretty vicious bear market that started in many parts of the stock market in 2021, in the middle part of that, and lasted all the way through 2022, in which one of the things that I think you and I have just been really clear about, the way in which the market turned by just the calendar turning in 2023 is the thing that really kind of has me a bit perplexed. No, no question. Again, and we've talked, but I think we've been pretty clear. It's it's definitely taken me by surprise. But to answer your question about yields, I mean, an inversion of this magnitude, again, the most inverted we've been in probably four decades or so. And the fact that we went to 1.1% inversion back down to, I think, 40 basis points. And now here we are right back again. I mean, that does not speak to a robust, healthy economy at all. Now, people will be out there and saying, uh, as part of the bull narrative, it's different this time. My comment back is, yeah, it's probably worse this time. And things will break along the way with an inversion of this magnitude. And it doesn't feel necessarily like it's going to stop because, you know, as the underlying economy continues to soften by design, by the way, that's what the Federal Reserve wants. It stands to reason it's short that 10-year yields are probably going to go down as inflation or the components thereof continue to be sticky and persistent stands to reason that two years probably going to remain elevated. So listen, where can it go? I don't know. I mean, we could be looking at 
five percent and three and three quarters percent, something like that. You know, I don't know how it's going to resolve itself, but it's headed to a theater near you. And if you think that's not a big deal, then you continue to stay long, you know, blindly stay long stocks. It's worked so far, but yeah. there will be something, there will be a catalyst that I think the market uh, comes to realize is a big deal. And what surprised me is the duration with which this lasted. And again, the market being somewhat impervious to all the things that we've been trying to point out. Yeah. And just, let's just pull up the 10 year. Um, and, and I think our good friend Carter Braxton worth would probably say the 10 year yield at three, seven, five is probably a pair of twos. You see that kind of pennant formation it's making, you see that how it's held it's 200 day moving average. You also see that that kind of like three thirty level or so, which we bounced off a lot back in April um, in May would be supportive of a move back towards that uptrend line. But again, it would be something that is, Somewhat uh, inconclusive, I think, on the flip side of that, the U.S. dollar, the Dixie guy, if you look at this thing, um, again, you can draw that downtrend. It doesn't really matter. You see a series of lower um, highs here, but you also see a, like a little mini uptrend. So maybe there's a little pennant forming there. But if the 10-year and the dollar um, were to go lower, I mean, those are things that might be supportive of equity valuations. But then it comes back to what is the Fed doing on the short end, that sort of thing. And we see the effect that it's had on crude. You see that the line that we've driven drawn here at 70, we've talked about that sort of level. I mean, this one really feels like though, guy, and I know that, you know, what you just had to say about OIH and the like here, it really does feel like crude is, is mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, it goes back to we had what Stuart Kaiser from from Citibank on uh, on on Fast Money last night, and he mentioned something, and we've talked about this a lot. You know, you've seen that cut in production from the Saudis, and you didn't see crude oil rally for more than what six hours or something like that. It really does feel heavy, and that goes back to you can look at it in two different ways. Maybe it's really good for, for corporate earnings and for margins and put costs going lower. And maybe that's great where U.S. monthly nationals, the dollar going lower and yields going lower, all, all of the above, right? But um, there's another way to look at it too. But right now, it seems to be that equity investors don't seem to be bothered with an S&P that's trading about 19 times, which is actually you know above that that five and seven year hour. Or now, five look, seven year there's so many, again, and we keep bringing up the amount of cross currents out there. I mean, crude oil is one of them, clearly. The commodity can't get out of its own way. Just when it looks like it's going to sort of make that next leg higher it stalls it's somewhere between 73 and a half and 74 the fact that we're at these levels for so long i think the right assumption probably is that the next leg lower is somewhat inevitable i you know again we'll see how it plays itself out i mean there are a lot of people out there that i respect um uh, paul sankey for example that still think there's a significant move higher in oil i think he's surprised by the fact that it hasn't gone on its source either the dollar that you brought up you're correct to bring it up Ask yourself, um, what's going? To, what would be the catalyst for this dollar to continue to go lower? It's going to be a good thing necessarily. I understand that historically a lower dollar has been sort of a tailwind for multinationals. But if the dollar breaks down, what's happening below the surface to make it do that? So, you know, these are the questions that I struggle with. Um, you know, the answers I've come up with have been right for some, wrong for others. But that's why trading is so difficult. You know, we're trying to sort of illustrate and point out some of the things that we see sort of fly in the ointment. It's again, it's easy, I think, just to sort of blow hot and cold with the market every day. That's something that, you know, I think it's sort of an anathema to what we try to do here.
Yeah. You know, and, and listen, you know what? I'll tell you this guy, I will come around if we were to have, you know, like kind of meaningful five to 10% sell off at some point in Q3. I mean, one of the areas I, I think I would buy energy. I might buy financials on valuation. If we were to kind of retest some levels that um, we, we have seen in the, you know, like, you know, in energy, a little different level than what we probably have seen. I'm um, in financials. There's definitely names in tech. I mean, I am not just poo-pooing what's gone on with this phenomenon with AI. I mean, there was a tectonic shift with the introduce, uh, introduction of this GBT4, but I, I do believe that that's going to be the sort of technology that's going to be embedded in lots of other products and services that won't really be commercialized for a while. Do investors tend to look forward and say, okay, well, this is why I want to own such and such. I just think they pulled forward a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to see a little bit of fear come back in there. And there would be names like uh, an alphabet. It, it's somewhere between 100 and 110 that would look to dollar cost average. If Microsoft were to come back to that breakout level, take out a bunch of that froth, or you could just do it in the QQQ. If you had a 20, $25 move lower in the NASDAQ 100, that would be something that you'd want a dollar cost average in, but not on a parabolic move where you've seen just levels of excitement. All right, speaking of parabolic move, really quickly, Guy, um, Bitcoin. This is one that I do think um, you know is something that continues to catch um, a lots of traders' eyes because of the way in which um, it has moved. And, and again, it's had this really quick move back towards um, 3,000 or 30,000, excuse me, after it had that pretty, you know, two month sort of like, you know, well defined sort of sell off or something. What is Bitcoin at these prior highs from April telling you right here? Just technically, it does look constructive. And again, this is, you know, a, a 500 or so billion dollar market cap. And I think you could think of it as one of these high growth sort of names that might be speaking to something that um, is scratching an itch for many risk taking investors at the moment. So it's a couple of things. I mean, look, obviously some of these institutions getting involved, th there's a seal of approval associated with that. So you can understand where the buying's coming from, which I get. The flip side of the coin is I'm surprised that given the hawkishness of the Fed and the fact that they seemingly are trying to do the right thing, that Bitcoin has been as buoyant as it's been over the last, you know, basically few weeks. So I've always believed, whether correctly or not, but it's just my belief that Bitcoin is basically an overlay of the Federal Reserve. I've said it a long time. We can put up a longer term chart. I don't know if we can or not. But again, it's not coincidental that Bitcoin topped that around 66,000 or so right around the time late fall of 2021 into early 2022 when the Fed reversed course. I don't think that's coincidence. We've said it. And again, that moved down from 66,000 to what, about 18,000 or so made sense as the Fed continued to raise rates. So for me, a, a Fed trying to do the right thing was bearish for Bitcoin. The recent bounce has me a little bit confused because I think the Fed is still telegraphing that they're trying to do the right thing. Maybe it's looking forward, and again, I don't know this, to potential cuts early next year. That's the only thing I can glean from this, that and the fact that you have some of this institutional acceptance of Bitcoin as well. Yeah. All right. So last thing before we get out of here, let's look at the gold that, that goes back to Starry in the comment. Um, you know, you, you and I have been highlighting it and, and basically while you're bullish of gold and, and the reasons why you've laid out, um, you know, makes sense. Right now, the price action is not particularly great. It's a technical breakdown. If you just look at that uptrend that's been in place from that kind of level in November, you see that 200-day moving average, 1857. We've been talking about that a little bit. Has 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 the um, digital gold stole a little mm -hmm. bit of the thunder of late, especially for speculators and the reasons why people look to buy things like gold and Bitcoin? 
Yeah, it feels that way. And again, Jacob, I'm sorry for this, but it, it's good to have, if we could put up a longer-term chart, where we stopped at, unfortunately, is where obviously we stopped at prior. So the technicians will look at this and say, bit of a textbook double top. There's no reason to be long this thing until it gets down to potentially the moving average we'll see. But you can see those tops there. So the price action, yeah, you're right, Dan. It's not particularly good. What I take some relief in knowing is, you still have that central bank buying. That's not going away anytime soon. Um, and I still think it's supportive of the price. It hasn't been recently, and you're right to point out that the moving average is in play, but I'm going to still remain um, a bearish thesis uh, in the gold market, Dan. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground here. We did. Guy. I we mean, didn't talk about, what didn't we talk about? The Oh. Um, we actually talked no. about the brewers. Yeah, well, EY from SoFi is going Thursday night. That will be the final game of that four-game set. As I mentioned, the Yankees are in Oakland. This is where the Yankees really need to sort of make up some ground uh, with these next few games they have out west. And then I think they play St. Louis. So not particularly good baseball teams. But listen, you got to play the games that are in front of you, right, Dan Nathan? Matter of fact, although you know, I hate that expression trade the market that you have. I didn't see that. that you I, didn't I know, I know, I know. The games are in front of you. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, okay. Um, well, we had a lot of fun. We laughed, we cried a little bit, we took some questions. Um, we appreciate all of you guys uh being here um in the comments, and especially when they're um you know generally nice. And listen, we'll, we, we get we good, we get bad. It's all it's listen, I, I can roll with it. It's all I good. Know. I'm like Chris, you know, Chris Christie says he's a thick skin. He's got a lot of it, by the way, but he does have thick skin. But that's it for today's market call. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity facts at our data provider. Uh, thank you, audience. Amanda, Jacob, Stephen, Kylie, uh Millie, back at East Spec, back at EC back at the current studios um, doing yeoman's work. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern for Market Call. See you later, folks. See you later. Thanks.